Good afternoon, everybody. This is a new week. That means a new episode of The Feed to Embiid is upon us. I do have uh, two of the best beat writers I could get on the show today. I do have Paul. That's a shame. <laughs> I do have Paul Hudrick of 97.3 ESPN. I also have Jason Blevins of both The Painted Lines and 97.3 ESPN. Gentlemen, how are we today? Doing great, man. Living the dream here. That's right. Jason, how are you? I couldn't be better. If I could be better, it would be unfair. Have you been consumed by cicadas yet? You texted me about that earlier today. Yeah, they were loud. They were legit. Like, I got out of the car at the park, and I talked to my buddy, uh, Charlie, and I was like, is is that the cicadas? They were loud. (laughs) I haven't been outside yet today, but they were louder than the crowd in uh, Washington D.C. <laughs> yeah, and they right. didn't—they didn't need the, the the arena to pump in crowd noise <laughs> for them. Oh. Wow, those are some heavy allegations, right? Yeah. I just yeah. said the cicadas didn't require any uh, loudspeakers. Wow, this is this is cutting 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 edge. We have we it's, it's a, a an audacious report right off the bat. Um, anyway, this podcast is named after one of the players on the team uh, who we are waiting injury news on or maybe lack thereof. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of don't understand this whole scenario because. The guy, his Joel's right knee buckles as he comes down a little bit. Wasn't as like pronounced or as violent as the first instance in Washington, but he comes up and he is clutching both his hip and his back, and then he misses the rest of the game with right knee soreness. So I don't really know what to make of this whole scenario. I'm curious, Paul, what do you think is going on here? My listen, and I, and I don't know, I don't have any inside knowledge, but my gut is that they were just—I mean—they're being really cautious, and as they should be. Um, <laughs> you should be this cautious with any seven-footer, but especially this particular seven-footer who does have the indus- uh, does have an injury history, as you already talked about. You know, we already saw what happened earlier this season in Washington uh, when Garrison Matthews lands on his knee, and you know, I think everyone kind of, including Embiid himself kind of assuming the worst uh, that night, it it looked really bad. Uh, It turns out to be, you know, really not that bad in the grand scheme of things. So that I, I I guess the hope is, and, you know, I'm optimistic. We'll see. Uh, You know, again, I don't want to speculate. I don't have any inside information, but it well, I do agree with you that it was, it was a little odd that you see him get up. He lands clearly on his back. Maybe his, his foot kind of, you know, maybe catches a little bit and that might've buckled the knee a little but then we hear that it is knee soreness and not anything to do with the back. Um, then again, everything is connected, right? I'm not a doctor, but, you know, things are all connected. So it, it could have just been that kind of a thing. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I we're going to have to hear something soon enough, right? I mean, the injury report's going to come up, so I'm sure we're going to hear something. That's right. Um, and to me, if it's anything other than out, that's good news, even if it's doubtful. Um, anything other than out is good news. Yeah. Jason? 
I mean, um, yeah, things are connected, right? So uh, you can experience um, hip and knee, uh, hip and back issues in the knee. All of those, uh, I think it's, what is it? They, uh, what's the, uh, what's the tendon called? Um, sciatica. Yeah, sciatica can express in pain at the knee. Uh, it certainly can, all the way down to the ankle. But, I mean, he clearly fell. Uh, on his hip slash back, um, you know my my guess is <laughs> they uh, sent a tweet to us that said me, and then they just didn't correct it, and and uh, um, <laughs> I don't know. I I I don't think it's anything to obsess about. Yeah, I mean, people are like acting like the guy was writhing in pain, rolling all over the floor. He got up and he like like physically put Robin Lopez into the bench like two seconds, two possessions later. Like he dominated him and then walked off the court without a limp, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, my line of thought is they had some PTSD from the whole first time he, he went down hard in Washington this season. And we're like, that's enough for us. We'll try to win this game without them. And, uh, you know, they, they almost pulled it out. Um, but here we are. They are three to one. Game five is tomorrow yeah. um, in Philadelphia. So my, my, I think our, our consensus is that we don't think it's anything too serious in, in this situation. Uh, obviously hoping for, for, for the best here. But um, I'll, I'll tell you, I was – I don't know that I was surprised, but I guess I was a little bit disappointed, if you will, by the fact that – they looked so discombobulated as soon as he subbed out. And the, mind you, this is a team that played, I think, 14 consecutive games earlier this season without Embiid. And as soon as he checks out, and granted, Simmons left the foul trouble um, early in, in this game as well, but they just looked completely out of sorts and had absolutely no uh, rhythm on the offensive end. And the Wizards aren't a good defensive team by any stretch, but they were forcing live ball turnovers um, and I mean, Doc said it a billion times. This team is is like the kryptonite is get is letting them get in transition, and that was exactly what happened in the first half. I thought. Yeah, I mean, once you know you lose Embiid, and then you lose Simmons to foul trouble, and that just it, I think it did just you know what, what you kind of talked about. Just it looked disjointed really on both ends, and it, it it bled over. It was their offense; they weren't getting good possessions. They did turn the ball over. The looks they were getting weren't great looks, um, and then that fueled the Wizards fast break and that's where the Wizards that's really the only way they can hurt the Sixers in this series is through um, transition whether that is actually scoring in transition or just kind of creating mismatches uh, off of it and getting some of their smaller players and some of their big on some of the Sixers bigger players and trying to get them on skates but yeah I, I mean you know Embiid leaves the game clearly that hurts them from the standpoint of him being the focal point of the offense and you know I'm sure emotionally too it had an had, you see the guy go back to the locker room not come back um, it, it has an impact on you. It's that, you know, you notice it, I'm sure if you're a player. Um, and then this is a game where maybe they really, you know, they really could have used Tobias Harris kind of putting on his cape and, and kind of carrying things. And that just flat out didn't happen. He, he just, he did not have a good game. It wasn't as on top of it, not being his night. It felt like I also thought he forced a lot of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. he, he, he had done so well through the first three games of kind of getting to his spots on the floor, finding his mismatches, um, and he didn't do that. Uh, granted, part of that is Joel Embiid not being on the floor. 
historically he is a better player when he's playing with Ben Simmons. So no Ben Simmons. And I just thought, yeah, I thought that, and even that carried over into the second half where I thought, you know, Simmons picks up his fourth foul 12 seconds in and he can't play the, he can't play at the level he wants to defensively because he's afraid of picking up the fifth and offensively. I thought, you know, maybe he was a little bit, he even admitted that after the game that he thought he was perhaps a little passive. And I, you know, also that, any notion that Doc might have had to go to him at the five at that point because kind of thrown at the window because you're not going to throw him at the at, at the five when he's got yeah. four fouls. Um, he did it in desperation in, in the fourth quarter, and it worked out pretty well. But, yeah, I just think those two things, I mean, you're missing two all-stars. You're missing two key players, and I thought it really showed in a big way on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and going back to Tobias because you, you make a good point, like he – he was forcing it. It looked like he was a little bit lost out there uh, throughout this game. He shoots a 24 from the field, which is sort of, it not only is that uncharacteristic and efficiency, but it's also like you rarely see the guy get up 24 shots in a game. Um, so, I mean, I, I thought that was a little bit of a shocker, but it just kind of felt like three games into the, well now going on four games into the series, but Washington finally picked up on his moves and they had a counter defensive rotation to everything he did he was getting blocked left and right so he got blocked like six or seven times last night whether it be going to the rim or or, or on 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 that post uh fade uh jason did you did, what did you see out of, out of that uh i i mean my take on tobias is he is a consummate professional he is just just below that all-star level he is not a iso clear out um make tough shots guy he is a execute good shots player on your team right when you can create in offense good shots he's going to execute at a really high efficient level and uh if you go through games one through three just look at the shot chart they've they've taken uh fantastic shots forget about makes and misses they've just gotten every shot they wanted um, Tobias is the guy that can make you pay for all of the decisions that your uh, generational big um, creates for others and your fantastic uh, facilitator, 6'10 point guard makes. So Tobias is a great third option. But when you take away those other two and you ask him to go make those hero ball type shots, He's going to shoot poorly, and I I haven't even looked at the uh, the box score from last night. But you know he's not a hero ball guy. He's just not, and uh, it's it, it it's not even a critique of someone to say why aren't you playing hero ball? Why can't you do it? Um, there are very few of those players in the league. He's great on a cross match, making people pun uh, punishing people for the decisions they make on defense. Um, but he's not a hero ball player. So, you know, I just wouldn't – I wouldn't overthink game four. The fact that they, you know, were tied with two or three minutes left, uh, the fact that they had a chance is is a really positive sign for the team overall. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I also think that in this, in this game, I just think the perfect – calamity of Joel going out um, and then Tobias struggling and Ben being, you know, stuck to the bench. You kind of see that Embiid isn't just this 
uh, otherworldly, um, like gifted scorer who can just dominate you in every way, he's become a much better playmaker too. Like, oh, and, you, yeah. and you've seen that this series with, and not just the series, but really this season, but he's now manipulating defenses out of the post and, and making no look passes to Steph Curry for or Seth Curry for threes, or he's hitting Danny green in the corner on cross court skips. Um, he's, you know, setting Tobias up and they're cutting more intuitively off of Joel and scoring at the rim really without much of an issue. And I felt like last night without him there to sort of take away some of the pressure, the cutting wasn't as, wasn't as a fluid The the shooting obviously was, 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 was not good. Um, but I thought last night was like one of the first times where I've noticed at least that like not he, he he's developed into more of just this all around impact player as opposed to just this guy that dominates you at the rim and then, um, you know, can, can score however he wants on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, Paul Paul will tell you this. He, he's there. He sees pregame. The biggest change over the last few months is that um, – Embiid during warmups, and, and there's very few players that I see this during warmups. Embiid is getting blitzed um, from a, a um, assistant coach that's a big that will guard him one on one. He's getting blitzed by by a double team in warmups uh, from multiple angles, and that is a thing they are just working on nonstop. And uh, you just you just don't see that. Um, I can't, Paul, can you think of a, uh, another player in the league that assistant coaches are blitzing on doubles pregame? Like they no. are, they are no. really working on this. <laughs> and, um, and the more that he sees from the more angles, the more things that he will, um, uh, invent and create to to deal with that. The, Saturday night, uh, I talked to him, and he said uh, he made a statement that I think like is sort of bananas. You know, I asked him about that step back baseline jumper that he's got from the right side baseline, and um, and I asked like, is there another player that he uh, learned that from? Because I can't think of a player who does a step back baseline jumper and he said there's so many things i could do there's so many more moves i have there's so many uh things that i haven't even shown yet um and he was all talking about the context of beating double teams and uh i think it's really hard to um put that in context of the downstream effects for your second and third option on a team when your best player is capturing that much attention from a defense. It just, when he's not turning the ball over, it puts, uh, it puts everyone else in a position to get the perfect shot. Right. Yeah. So then my question becomes, and this is for either of you, because you're both in attendance more than I am. Who are these coaches that they are blitzing him with, and 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 do they have the size to actually like be effective in doing that? Yeah, I mean they have. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like their player development guys. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the names off the top of my head. Uh, one guy is a St. Joe's alum. I can't. Uh, the St. Joe's guy. Yep. Uh, um, Jones is Dwayne Jones or something of that Dwayne effect. Jones. He's like a 
he's like 6'10", I and mean, he's a big, he's he's a big guy. Yes. Uh, like <laughs> last year, they had Roy Hibbert. So, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they, they have they do it now. They have plenty of guys with size that, that do that and that, that are yep. not far removed from playing the game at some level. So they yep. are more athletic and they do have the yep. size and they have the basketball kind of ability to give them, you know, just to give them a look, not to actually, you know, right. not to go up when he goes up against in an actual game. But, uh, and Jason, what you brought up too, uh, you know, on Saturday, I, the word that Joel used at one point that I think kind of encompasses this is gravity. Um, and that's what it is. It's just a gravity to him on the floor and what that opens up for Tobias or Ben or Seth or Danny or, or you know, whomever else comes into the game. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, when uh, Ramona Shelburne, when she put that article out, um, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, like right before the playoffs started, and she talked to Drew Hanlon. And the one thing he talked about was the idea that when he works with Joel, it's not – working on a one-on-one matchup it's not how what do i do against a player it's what do i do against the team yeah like what am i doing against all five guys on the floor yeah and that is just such first of all the the fact that he's that good that that's where he is you know what i mean where it's like no i know i could beat my one-on-one matchup every single time so i'm not even worried about that it's that i have to worry about what everyone else is doing and the fact that he's smart enough um to be able to process all of that and do it in you know in, in less than a second reaction time, like it's pretty incredible. And I think that's the one thing, like if there's a thing about Joel and B that perhaps is taken for granted or maybe not, not, not the, you know, given as much of a spotlight, it is that just that basketball IQ for a guy who just hasn't played the game that long. Like, you know, I, I, for me, I grew up playing basketball my entire life and I don't have near the basketball IQ of that guy just because he just, the way he sees things, the way he processes information, and Jason, you talk about the, you know that that baseline jumper, and it's just the stories you hear about him literally just watching a guy and then going out and practice and then being able to do what that player does. Yeah, that's insane. Um, that that's not a thing that a normal human being can do. Um, so to me, that that's the one thing that maybe we don't give him enough credit for is just how smart he is and how smart he is in the context of the game of basketball because he is like he's like a savant man. Like it's it's really impressive to see his growth um you know over the course of this year and it leads me to believe that he's he actually does have a chance to get better which is insane and scary yeah it's it's crazy i i I thought of saturday night i i basically thought who does a step back baseline jumper and it was a cross between james harden and patrick ewing like there's no there's not a player i can point to that that was their signature shot that's why I asked them. I was like, did someone inspire that? Because that's not a thing I've seen. That's like maybe the most difficult shot in the game of basketball is a baseline step back jumper. Yeah. And it's not even like that's something that he'll it's a prayer for him. It's like, no, he can he can legitimately execute you in a late in the fourth quarter right. and knock you out of a game with that shot. That's like a that's a thing that he is prepared to do on a nightly basis, which right. is ridiculous to say he's got other things in the bag that he's not ready to show yet is like what are those things what could they be what could they even be yeah well it's not like you think about it like he he was already the best post scorer in the game yeah this year he became one of the best not just for a big guy one of the best mid-range scorers in the game plus he shot a career high percentage from three so That evolution, it's just it's it's scary. It's mind-boggling that a guy that was already this good 
was already elite as a post scorer, is now elite as a mid-range scorer, and was above average from the three-point line. It's and on top of that, he draws a ton of fouls and makes and makes free throws. It's yeah. it is completely mind-boggling how good he is. And I just it's it's almost under if, if that's possible, it's almost underappreciated how much he's improved and that level he's on right now. We're yeah. getting to the point where the Hakeem and Shaq hybrid is unfair and disrespectful. Like that we're almost to that point where no, he's better than just that. And and look, I I'm old enough to have watched those guys. Uh and I'm, I'm like, yeah, he's better than that. If they officiated the game the way they did in the 90s, he's better than both of those guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've seen like some trimmings of some highlights here and there, but I mean, I, I just don't think I've seen anybody in my, in my life of, of watching the game where the guy's like a bowling ball, but he has like the ball skills to like take you off the dribble that way and like shoot it from the mid range. I mean, that mid range improvement in terms of just efficiency, that's not any kind of small thing. That's like he went from 40 something percent to like, I think, Low, low to mid 50s i believe is what it was and that's a gargantuan difference in terms of like the way that he his ability to shoot the ball yeah. from anywhere um but i think like it, it, you talk about like getting better he's only had one season in his career so far where he's had a positive assist to turnover ratio which i think like to me is like a big a, that's like a that's like the big separator and i feel like it not only if he can get that even but he can get that to where he's positive by like one to two. So it's like two assists to one turnover. Well, that would be, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. No, that would be like that. You can shut it down. That'd be over that. So that, that, that's in my mind, that's where the improvement comes from. But I also think it's going to be like years more of him just trying to stay healthy and, you know, take over games the way he does. And the reality is that he's never going to get single covered ever again. I mean, you're, you're, you might have a game here and there, but it's going to be doubles, triples, literally every game the rest of his career until his body, you know, and, and until it's clear that his he's on decline naturally anyway. Yeah, I think you're going to – there will be a time where he's in that Dirk zone where, um, you know, Dirk probably had four years where um, he had that space on the floor where you couldn't really double him from that space – um, but he was probably a net negative on the defensive end, but he, he was still a 18 to 23 point per game player. I think Joel will have that period of time, but I think he's every bit as skilled. There's going to be a little window where he is both still that elite rim protector defensive presence and also an impossible choice on the offensive end. And, uh, it's just a matter of when that when that window opens. Uh, it might be open now. Yeah. It might be open now. Yeah. And uh, I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen it. So yeah. I. I'm re- really interested in seeing in the in the modern game of basketball what happens when a seven two guy uh, opens up that window. I yeah. believe uh, Brooke Brown's. Uh, it was uh, Shaquille O'Neal with soccer feet. And now we can add and Shaquille O'Neal and Dirk Nowitzki with soccer feet. Yeah, um, it's it's just yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a joy to watch. It really truly is. It's it's a very fun guy to cover. And like you know, I I remember seeing him 
this was so th- it was like the second year where he didn't play. Uh, but he he like was he worked out after a draft workout uh, at PCOM, which was oof. Uh, you know, not, not ever having to go to PCOM again is, is, is a, is a joy within itself. But, um, I just remember seeing him and I was with Jess Camerato who was at NBC sports at the time. Now she actually covers the Washington nationals, but, um, she turned to me. I remember she said, he looks like Dwight Howard and he did. It's like, this is Dwight. And he's at her bombing threes. It's like this guy. Is, and this is when, again, he didn't even play an NBA game yet. Mm-hmm. And you just see him out there and his physique and how big he looked and how strong he looked. And then it's just so skilled. It was just, I had never, like, you just, I was like, if this guy ever gets on a basketball court, he's going to be special. By the way, Jess is the only person I've ever seen walk into a locker room. I think it was last season. And uh, Joel hugged her. You know, he We have breaking news from Woj. Joel Embiid will be doubtful for game five. Sources tell ESPN he had an MRI on his right knee today, expected to be evaluated further in the next day. That seems positive, <laughs> mostly. Yeah, it's 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 better than nothing, I guess. Um, so and it's better than out for the rest of the playoffs, or you know, even <laughs> out for like one to two weeks. So I mean, that's yeah. I mean, it, I I think he'll play. My guess is that he'll play. I I just think they're playing a the game at this point. Full capacity I, crowd, right? Twenty thousand. Yeah, just full capacity. Paul, what are they going to do with us when they have a full crowd? They got the yeah, risers back. Are we back on the risers? That would be cool. I would take that. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I kind of got yeah, used know what... to that uh, mid court. Yeah, that's. I'm kind of spoiled by that view too. <laughs> it's tough because you can actually. Yeah, you actually don't get blocked by a basket, so that's yeah. nice. The food setup is better too, a little bit, to be honest with you. A little but, bit better. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do with, with full capacity. But I will note that uh, it was game one against the Nets uh, two years ago when Joel Embiid was listed as doubtful, and then he played, yeah. and then they lost. <laughs> but yeah, yeah so he was like doubtful or questionable that entire series, and then he missed Joel Embiid. Yeah, Joel first. Embiid being doubtful is not the same as any other player being doubtful, basically. Yeah, <laughs> and it's especially that case with Doc Rivers, as we've come to as we've come to understand uh, this season. But we do have more polarizing topics to discuss. Like what? I don't. I can't yeah. imagine. Exactly. Um, ben Simmons last night. What? He, he um, it was he do, he was stuck to the bench for the majority of the first half with foul trouble, mm-hmm. um, but he has to he has some demons to see, seemingly exercise uh, against the Wizards, uh, whether it be in their building or in Philly. Um, the free throw thing is is unlike anything I've ever seen. I think. Have we not gotten to the point? where as a metropolitan region, we respect Ben Simmons enough to criticize him. Have we not made it to that point where we recognize all the great things that he does enough that we can now give him critique on things that are obvious flaws in his game or like, or do we still have to all lay on the railroad tracks for him so that 
people that don't understand how defense is played in the NBA that we have to say, no, you don't understand basketball. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, the three of us here get it, um, <laughs> but I think there, I think there is a pretty big fat. I mean, and maybe they're a loud minority. I don't know, but there seems to be a pretty big faction of the fan base, and perhaps even some in the national media or even the local media that um, maybe don't quite understand how valuable he is or, or what he yeah. brings to the table. I mean, this is a guy that could win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure he does, but he could. He's a finalist, and yeah. if he does that's still not going to be good enough for a lot of people. Uh, um, so I think that's kind of the troubling thing. Cause I, I hear you like the three of us, I think can, it, can say this can say Ben Simmons needs to hit more free throws. We, the three of us can say that because we also acknowledge that as, as a basketball player, he is a net positive. He does yeah. a lot more positive things to impact Huge the game. Than net he, positive. But I, I think there, there is a faction that just, they don't quite understand how valuable he is defensively, the level he plays at, or even on offense and his ability to generate, um, you know, open looks for others. And it's just basically his ability in general. Um, I don't think, I think there are people that don't quite understand that. Uh, they're not on this podcast, but in general, I do think so. Listen, this is, this is a, this is a talk shit as much as you want podcast. If you, if, if you <laughs> one of us here is saying it, you, nah, I mean, I, here's my thing. I feel like, with the faction that you're talking about of people that have a large platform, especially in this market, in order to accurately portray the guy, I feel like there is some responsibility. Maybe this is because I'm brand new to this and I'm a rookie on the beat, but I feel like there is a, a duty in there somewhat to help sort of portray it more accurately by being overly positive, if that makes sense, of his, of his game. Yeah, and- but- but uh, I don't think you win anybody over by just like setting the edge on the other side. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I I just think like yes, he's obviously a massive net positive. You, he's not the type of guy that you can like that your your everyday person who doesn't like drink in and eat and breathe and you know don't like you know pray to the altar of the game. There, his his game is not is is for those who can really go back and rewatch things and go back and watch film. I mean, so much of, of his positive, you replay once or twice and you see it then when he makes a, a massive skip ahead pass uh, to a guy leaking out for a three, or he, you know, he, he, he has a massive defensive possession. A lot of the, the average fan on Twitter or, or wherever on the radio, whatever that you may want, they, you want to see regular box score numbers that are easy to digest. And points is as easy as it comes to digest. And field goal percentage is as easy as it comes to digest. So five of eleven from the free throw line is not good. It's 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 not good, obviously. But it's it's easier for for fans to digest that, and as a result, make their you know the make make their cases based on that. Like last night, I felt like Doc was obviously trying to protect his player. It was very clear. Um, but at the same time, analytically speaking, he does have a point in that a point per possession is considered good. Like that bullshit. is in a lot of ways, and I agree. Total bullshit. I, I, I agree. I, I think you can. I think you can argue against that. What I would retort with that is, okay, but what is it? What is if that? I was his coach, by the way. I would say the same thing. And also, it's complete bullshit. 
Yeah, that's fair. I, I think what I would say, and 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 to 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 retort that is, well, what is that point per possession value on free throws around the league, and where is he on versus the average on that? That's well, a better it's, argument. It's one point six. Yeah, right. So I mean, not- league average is eighty percent, right? Yeah. 75, 80 yeah. percent. Yeah. But um, I here's my here's my quibble with I think fans right now with this debate it is uh we all know that the the lazy box score watching fans are are um are what they are it is my quibble is with the y'all don't know ball if you can't see what ben simmons does well he's flawless (laughs) those people i want to ask every one of them individually When's the last time you stepped onto a basketball court playing with multiple people, three on three, five on five, and uh, stepped onto a court with people that aren't children? When's the last time you walked out there and go out there with significant holes in your game when people know that you have got those holes and now tell me that y'all don't know ball? Like, come on, when, when the flaws are there, the flaws are there. And, uh, I was listening to Baron Davis and, uh, Rod Strickland talk the other day and they were talking about playing outside on double rims in the wind in New York city and how everything had to be at the rim because it's just really hard to shoot outside on double rims. And, um, that's that there, there is, there are different environments that you have to play but don't tell me y'all don't know ball when I'm uh, I'm looking at these these guys and I'm thinking when's the last time you stepped onto a court and if you can't shoot people will back off of you it's just it's just reality like go walk onto a basketball court before you make a statement like that and and I just think both both edges of this debate are wildly the Howard Eskin it's ridiculous. Paul knows it. Howard doesn't stay for the game. He shows up. He asks his little gotcha question and bolts before tip off. We know that side is ridiculous. We know it's ridiculous. But the other side can't be ridiculous too. You can't just sanctify a guy and lay on the railroad tracks for him. No, I think that's I I think that's a what I think. I'm starving for it and it's never going to happen because it's just not the way sports works. It's not the way social media works. It's not the way the city of Philadelphia works. It's just a nuanced understanding of he does things well and he's flawed. Like that's there. It's like you can say, yeah, Ben Simmons needed to make more free throws yesterday while also acknowledging that's probably not the biggest reason they lost the game. I agree. Like both things can be true. Um, And going forward, like, we could acknowledge Ben Simmons is an elite, elite defensive player. He's an elite facilitator. He does a lot of great things on the offensive end of the floor. He's a good offensive rebounder. He's a good defensive rebounder, quite frankly, too. He's not a good shooter. He's not a good free throw shooter. He's not a great scorer. Yep. Um, and, like, it's the little things that kind of irk me with, like, the critic- like um, with, with the criticism. Like, the idea uh, – I know there was, like, this weird thing going around where they, they – oh, after game one, he, he didn't want the ball at the end of game one. He's a 60% career f- – free throw shooter 
He's trying to get the ball to Seth Curry, who was a 90% free throw shooter, mm-hmm. and Tobias Harris, who's a borderline 90% free throw shooter. He's that's smart basketball. That's not him being yeah. scared or no, that's logical. If you're not good at something, and for the strength of the team, you want someone at like you'd much rather have Joel Embiid at 85% shooting those free throws than you, who is 60%. Like he's self, at least he is self-aware. You know what I mean? He understands, yeah. he knows his flaws. And that was the other thing I think was like the biggest thing to come out of that. Like we're all talking about what Doc Rivers said and Doc Rivers defending him. Ben Simmons himself took accountability. He said, I need to step to the line and make them flat yeah. out. He didn't make an excuse. He didn't say, oh, this strategy's lame or anything. No, he said, it's part of the game. It's basketball. I just need to go to the line and hit them. And I think for me, the one thing I've always wanted out of Ben Simmons was that, was that level of accountability that maybe I didn't think he always had. I think he has that now. I think he understands his flaws and he understands that at times he's going to come under scrutiny. He's going to have to answer tough questions. And I thought he faced the music Sunday night and I applaud or Monday night. I'm all thrown off the holiday, but um, uh, you know, he, he faced the music. He, 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 he said, I, I need to be better. I need to make more free throws. And I, think that is maybe what's being missed too is everyone's kind of focusing on how doc rivers is defending his all-star player because of course he's going to do that and not focusing enough on ben simmons himself you know coming to the plate and taking accountability taking responsibility yeah i will ask you let me ask you guys this were you surprised when when they said ben's coming to the microphone because i would have put every dollar i had on him trying to find his way out of media. Life. Ben is not a bitch. Say what you want um, about him, but he is, uh, you know, I think, I think the media takes a lot of critique on both sides too. I think the media, we get lambasted for not asking certain questions. And I think at a certain point, it's like, how, how do you phrase a question about free throws? Right. Uh, how do you phrase a question about shooting? But uh, Ben doesn't, Ben Ben just wants you to ask a question that displays that you were paying attention. That's all I think, in my opinion, that, that he asked for from us when we ask a question. Um, he wants to know that you were paying attention and that you weren't, uh, you know, playing uh minecraft during the game and then you show up at the in the uh post game or or shining your super bowl ring right well we've already we've already (laughs) hit that topic um so (laughs) he would never be up that late to go uh but (laughs) but um ben's not afraid of tough questions he just wants uh specific questions right so I, I, uh, I'm not surprised that he took, uh, he went to the podium. It's the NBA playoffs. Of course he will. He's, he's the second star of this team. He's the, in many ways, he is the, the floor general, uh, and the orchestrator of the team. If he's not the leader, he's certainly one of the top three leaders of the team. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I have respect for him. Uh, from from that view, yeah, you know it's it's interesting because I actually and I won't name the reporter because it's not fair to him, but I I did think it was a it was a, a fair question to ask, like should you take Ben out of the game, considering considering it's like it was what only forty five seconds, yeah, and Doc and Doc uh, deflected it, 
he ran with it in a way that he was able to run with it. And uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, uh, criticize Doc for how he answered it, because that's how a politician would answer that question. Uh, I'll say Kevin asked the question that most people would ask, right? And um, Well, you don't have to answer. <laughs> I mean, I think Kevin Kevin Kincaid crossing broad asked the question that needed to be asked, and and yep. uh, it was a valid question. And I also Doc deflected it in the way that a coach should deflect it. Um, yep. So um, that's the game. Yeah, and, and I also feel like that's the game of media and coaches media availabilities. Yeah, and Paul, like, correct me if I'm wrong in thinking this, but I feel like there is value, not just this season, but in seasons going forward when a player is – because the players are going to be on watching that. Or they're going to be seeing that. It's all over national uh, outlets. There's going to be free agents who see that, and they're going to think, I want to play for this guy. Sure. 100%. And, I, and listen, I think, too, Danny Green kind of touched on it, and um, I think it's a fair assessment. Ben Simmons is a competitive guy. Like – you don't think Ben Simmons was pissed off after that game, after they lost, and after he missed, you know, he only made five of 11 three. You don't think that pissed them off? Because I I know it did. It, it pissed them off. So if you're Doc Rivers and you already know the guy is down and you know how important he is for your team and how important it is for that conflict, like you bashing him for missing free throws in public is not going to magically make him start making free throws. If anything, it's going to be the opposite. You're going to put it in his head more and it's going to make it worse. So – and I, I don't. I'm not sure if, the, if deflect is the right word, but I just think Doc really he wanted to give that answer. So, like, like you said, he knew Ben Simmons would see that or hear that that yeah. that that he had that Doc has his back that like that. And I, that's it's not. And with coaches, and Jason, like you already pointed out, like this this is the game when you're a coach. You're not always going to give the reporters, the answer that you think, or that's 100% true. You give them the answer that you want to give them, that you want them to write, that you want them to tweet, that you want your players, or also to your point that you want other players to perhaps right. see and realize I got my guys back. I have these guys back. I, I I want to make that known. And I, not that Brett Brown didn't, but I think the way doc does it and the cachet that doc kind of carries especially with Ben. I mean, Ben's talked about it multiple times. The fact that doc played the game, uh, the fact that doc won a championship as a player has won a championship as a coach that clearly has gone a long way for Ben Simmons. Um, and, and you know where he, how he kind of views doc. So to hear that and to hear doc so, um, you know, passionately defend him of like, that's the way it should be done. If you're doc, it does you, it serves you no purpose to enter to even entertain it. And I like, I agree with you guys that Kevin, listen, it's not an unfair question for Kevin to ask. It's really not. Yeah. Um, yeah. because it's, it is, it's only like a minute. You, you take him out of the game for a minute. You put him right back in at yeah. the two minute mark. But I, I think with doc, I, I think that was, that that is what you're, he's going to keep doing. And we should never, we shouldn't expect him to do anything different because he's always going to stand up for Ben. And I think if you're the coach, that is the right way to approach it. 100%. And and credit to Kevin and the reason I'm using his name. Oh, Kevin's But credit to him because pandemic forward in pre-pandemic we would be in the uh, in the press room, right? And y y the game there is essentially get your question in when you can get your question in, 
And if you can insert your question in uh, in those in those little windows, you can ask follow-ups. But in the Zoom world, you essentially get your one question. You get called on by PR and you ask your question. So that really changes the game for us because we have to, uh, one, we have to prep like four questions, right? Because you don't know where you're going to get called. You might get called first, second, you might get called last. So you have to prep multiple questions, but you don't want to waste your question on the thing that you think is like the controversial one. Cause you assume everyone's going to ask that question. You, you don't want to be the guy that asked the, the tough uh, controversial question. Credit to Kevin for asking the, the question. Um, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have wasted my question on it because, because I knew someone else would ask it. So, and you knew what Doc I, would say too, quite frankly. I mean, really, you I knew mean, what Doc would well, say. No, gonna so say. You're, you're yeah. sort of throwing your question away and, and everyone knows it has to be asked. And he sort of fell on the sword to say, I'm going to be the one to ask the question that someone is going to have to ask. And we've had nights where it should have been asked, things similar to that, should have been asked and no one did because no one's willing to waste their question on it. Um, so I think we should give him credit for it. I, I think it's uh, inside baseball a little bit, maybe not interesting, but all of the three of us are on the Zoom calls. We we know how the strategy works in- I don't. Uh, I, I just- I just Throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. I'm just like, unless I try. I've this. told you many times, Austin. Prepare four questions because, you know, by the time <laughs> you get called, you, you, the other three are probably. You can always lower your hand too. I've done that on multiple sure. occasions where <laughs> I'm like, shit, someone asked that. I gotta put, and I just, and I, I try like either, <laughs> like Jason, like I do your strategy sometimes where I have a couple things maybe scribble down so I know. But if I really had something and someone asked it and I'm stuck, I'm like, you know, you know what? Nope, not even gonna do it. Oh, I know. Do you do you remember Paul when uh, they would hand out the two mics at the in the in the playoffs oh, yeah. a couple of years ago, and you'd have the second mic, and I had a couple of times where the person with the other mic asked the question I was going to ask, and I'm like, I. <laughs> <laughs> See, in that scenario, I make something up because it's like, yeah, you know, I got no, the I microphone. To I, I got to come it up with something. Always a good question. <laughs> and you don't. And to your point about earlier, like you don't know if that microphone's going to come back your way, so you better get something in at that point. There have been like at least eight or nine occasions this season where I've been right behind Keith and he will ask the exact question I have in mind. And my thumb goes down as fast as it possibly can. And they still call on me because I was the last hand up. And I'm just like, uh, he got me. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, the way like I kind of thought about it last night was like, let's, I got, let's say I do get a question. In. Do I want to waste it on something about free throws? Which I thought was like, I thought was like a valid thought process, but I also think that it's, it's perfectly fair to scrutinize the coach too, but we all knew he was going to answer the question that way, because what's, is there, there's no value in him ruining the confidence of, of his, of his, you know, his lead guard, if you, if you will, in when you're already up three Oh in a series, you're, 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 you're not tied to two with a chance to go three two. You're up three Oh, if you lose a game, okay, big deal. You go home and you have two more to win the series plus one in DC if it gets to that far. So, I mean, there's no, there's absolutely no value in him even giving the slightest impression that he was thinking about it. Yeah. And I said a pregame yesterday. I think that um, we can, I think we inflate our own importance sometimes by thinking that 
anything the media says is um, puts more pressure on a player than 20,000 people in an yeah, arena. When you're standing alone at the free throw line yeah. in a, in a, in a way crowd, like there's nothing we can say yeah. that is more pressure than having Russell Westbrook standing in front of you, mean mugging you or 20,000 people in a uh, 10,000 people in the arena last night. Yeah. Uh Waiting for you to shoot at the free throw line. We can all like all of us can walk to to the park and we think we can shoot eighty percent from the line, right? Because we do it at the park with no one there. Now put twenty thousand people standing around you. You're surrounded by them. Uh, it's a little bit different. Um, there's nothing we can write. There's nothing we can tweet. There's nothing we can say on the radio. There's nothing we can say on a podcast that's going to put more pressure than. Um, thousands of people surrounding you yeah right yeah, yeah. and i think it's Ben's. like i said I, I think just ben's a competitive dude like he doesn't, he doesn't want to miss free throws um i think he's tried like he's worked on it he's tried we see him you know we don't get you know as much we don't get any uh privy to practice anymore <laughs> but um you see when he warms up before games i mean with him and sam cassell He'll take a couple shots in the post, then he'll go to the free throw line. Take a couple shots from the wing, then go to the free throw line. Take a couple shots from three, then go back to the – it always goes back to the free throw line. And he makes a lot more than he misses in those scenarios. But like you said, Jason, it's a different animal when it's in a game, when there's people in the seats, when it matters, when there's stakes, when you know Westbrook or Beal are talking shit in his face. Like it's – all of that is a factor. All of that is there. Um, so it's just – it's – it's not a matter it's that and i guess that's like one of the narratives that always bother me too and i I do think that one's starting to go away is that oh he doesn't work on it he works on it man like it's (laughs) like flat out he works on it um it's just his form isn't great like flat out he's just not a naturally good shooter so he's had to work on it because he's not naturally good at like a lot of guys just kind of have it like you know what i mean like of course it takes work you have to you have to you know to be on the top of your game but a guy like I don't know name like like a, like a Seth Curry. Yes, of course, um, he's worked on it. But those damn genes, like he was born to be a shooter. Um, you know what I mean? So it's just uh, to an extent, um, uh, he's working. You know, he's working on something that's just not a strength, and and, uh, and he's going to have to continue to work on it the rest of his career in order to make it get to a respectable level. And he he's a he is a world class athlete in multiple ways. Um, with both hands, right? We all know he can finish. He prefers to finish with his right hand. Uh, prefers to sign his contract with his right hand. But um, uh, but he's not a. Um, it it's it, it's just he is a straight line speed guy. He's not a side to side guy. He's not he's not an overtly uh, vertical guy. He doesn't have LeBron's verticality. Uh, as a as a leaper like he is a he is a wildly versatile athlete uh with uh immense um vision immense iq for the game of basketball yeah. he sees the all the all of the moving parts on the floor um but uh there are just there are just certain parts that aren't natural for him and the question is, at 26, at 28, at 32, do those things start to click? And if they do, if the muscle memory comes in 
and now those little hooks, those little, uh, those little finishes, the free throw line, those things just start to click in muscle memory, uh, shooting left-handed. Um, what do you have? And are you willing to give up on a guy that it might just click someday? Yeah. You know? And I think like the issue going back to what Paul said, like people say he doesn't practice it. I think that gets into their mind when they look at like the way he misses. He's not like getting these toilet bowl kind of rolls where they swirl around and then pop out or like it's like a little bit front rim. It's none of his like 20 free throws that of his 15 free throws that have missed have looked close. Like none of them have been close to going. It doesn't there. click for him. No, it's, it, 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 the, 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 the wrist the finger to yeah. the to the eye isn't it looks very disjointed right now, and I think part of it bubbles back to like you can't tell me that the thing that happened against the Wizards when he was a rookie when they put him on the line the entire fourth quarter, you can't tell me that isn't in his head. It's a hundred. Well, no, no, I don't think it's in his head at all. You don't? No, 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 no. I think it's. Really? I think he enough is time tough. has passed. He is tough. Yeah. He is mentally tough. It is. He knows where the muscle memory is and where it's not. And it's just not there yet. I don't think he carries stuff. Like, I, I don't think he's the kind of guy who, like, I think he's already flushed game four away. I feel like he's that, he's just that, like, I'm sure afterwards, like I said, I mean, he's a competitor. So I'm sure he was pissed off afterward that he missed free throws, but he's probably, I, I will almost guarantee you he's already flushed it and he's already on the game five and thinking about, all right, I got to make free throws in game five. Uh, Cause I just, I think that's the way he's wired. And I think that's the way that most guys who are these, you know, elite, athletes that are just you know crazy competitors i think that's the way a lot of their brains work is all right i'm gonna take what i can from that game um and just and flush the stuff that i did that i don't need and go move on to the next one and just be better the next game because it just doesn't it, it doesn't do him or the team any good for him to like for him to carry that over for him to be thinking about it like i'm sure He's going to work on it. Like I'm sure today he probably took a bunch of free throws. I'm sure he's, I'm sure mechanically he probably, you know, Sam Cassell and him were probably looking at stuff and, you know, going over where, you know, maybe he wasn't bending his knees enough on this particular free throw. Uh, Maybe his elbow flared out a little bit too much on this free throw. I'm sure they were looking at all stuff like that, but I don't think he's the type where, like, I think once he gets into the game, I don't think any of that's in his head. I think he is just focused on what's in front of him and, when he's got to make a free throw, he's just worried about that free throw in that moment. And I think clutch sports, uh, probably one of our one of our uh, live viewers right now is from Clutch, being paid to. We have a lot of we have a lot of burners. Listen, listen to this and deal with it, so he doesn't have to. Right? In no way do yeah. I think Ben Simmons is uh, one of our live viewers worried about what we think about his play at all. Um, no. But he pays guys. To do that, he can pay me what's I'll, that? I'll do it for him. I'll quit the reporting job I'll, right now. And I'll just go do. I'll be. I'll be Ben's liaison of information. That's not a bad gig. No, you hear that? You hear that Listen, you hear I, that? I will scan everything you need me to do. Right. Um, right. Now, but Paul, Rich we're Paul, you you heard yeah. that right, Rich? Yeah, exactly. Paul, we are going to let you go because you, you have given me a lot of your time today. I appreciate that. Um, before we let you go, you do have a child on the way. That is public news at this point. That is not private news anymore, so I don't feel like I'm spilling anything. Uh, will there be a Sixers onesie? <laughs> uh, perhaps. Uh, I, You know, at one point, Fanatics had a Iverson onesie, and Ooh. I don't think they make it anymore. 
which I was devastated to find out. But uh, yeah, because of my reporter status, I will likely not incorporate anything with the current team. But uh, if there is an Allen Iverson, uh, as you saw, that this, these he or she already has the kicks uh, that that'll be ready to, to rock. So I just need that AI onesie, and they'll be they're gonna be they're gonna be straight fires. They're gonna be heat on the feet onesie. They'll they'll be they'll be all set. There we go. What's that, what's that T-shirt? Uh, you got there. I was just gonna bring it up. My guy. Ah. As you guys, you guys saw the last dance. You remember they had that? That's someone in Seattle had that sign, and that's exactly what it's just a replica of that sign. It's that's it's one awesome. of my favorite shirts ever. Like, yeah. Sean Kemp, uh, other ah. uh, famous father of dozens of children. Well, I wasn't gonna go there. I just know he was the most disrespectful dunker to ever exist. For me, it was like because. Uh, Jason, as you know, uh, not many Sixers players to write home about during uh, the time before Allen Iverson, uh, between Charles Barkley and Allen Iverson, basically. So uh, Sean Kemp was kind of my – that was my guy. That was a guy I kind of looked at as – he was my favorite player yeah, um, in that think. in that dark era. Um, yeah, I love him that and, Oh, him, Detlef, obviously Gary yes. Payton. Uh, yeah. like, is like the modern day Sean Kemp. Yeah. Is, that like, is that like, is that like uh, Mikhail uh, – or not uh, Mikhail, uh, Miles Bridges? Kemp, Kemp, no. Nah, Kemp, Kemp, Kemp was a different. Yeah, Kemp was like a. Di- he was. He probably would have really done well in this era because he probably would. He could hit a mid range, so he probably could have stretched it out to the three point line if that was a thing. Then he probably could have been a good like combo four or five. Yeah. Um, like a really, and he could block shots too. He's a pretty good weak side uh, shot blocker. Really good rebounder. Yeah, he would have been. He would have been a lot of fun in this era. I feel. Sean like. Kemp was awesome. I was yeah, born was in the wrong. I was born in the wrong era. That's that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> what a great team! I what do, a yep, great team! They're my favorite. Pop, West popping West on with me today, um, both of you. Uh, predictions for Game Five: close it out or go to Game Six? I say win either way, with or without Joel Embiid. I think they take care of business and win Game Five. I bet he plays. That's my that's my thing. I think he's going to play. Bold. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. Well, guys, thanks so much for hopping on today, and we will. I will see you, I guess, tomorrow. For, for for the uh, the Zoom calls. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Catch you guys. Stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! Get it in. No double team help, and it be.